0: Uh, and so this morning, we want to uh, uh, continue for just a few minutes where we left off, basically, uh, last evening. We're focused uh, this, uh, on this, during this High Holy Day season of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur on uh, the great moment in, uh, in history in the Torah after the golden calf when the people had sinned so horribly, and we see the grace and the mercy of God manifest and that he doesn't destroy the people. And then we saw last night that Moses uh, cries out to God, show me your ways and then show me your glory. And, uh, uh, you know, we talked about the, the tenacity of Moses, of going before God to know more of him, to understand him uh, so that he could lead the people well. Uh, and God indeed res- indeed responds to him, right? That, well, he can't see all of his glory, but God would show him his goodness. And God equates his goodness with his glory. And his goodness, in a sense, according to this passage, as we observe it, are his attributes, are uh, the diverse attributes of God and how he relates uh, 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 to us. And what we saw last night... And as we're going to focus and concentrate on this morning, uh, is about this uh, how God accentuates this goodness. So it's very interesting because, like we said at the beginning of the service, that oftentimes on the high holy days, you know the the picture that comes to us of God is is the judge, you know, uh, the, the one before whom we stand. And and while that is true. I, I, we know as we see on our sign coming in, right? And as you know, it's a season of repentance. Well, if it's a season of repentance, that that in a sense presupposes that we can repent, you know, that we can turn and we can return to God. See, I and I, it's very interesting because at this time in history, the gods of this world, the expectation was that God would destroy the people, because in that day when when anyone would uh, uh, be disobedient to their God, their God would squash them, basically. But we see the uniqueness of the God of Israel, and therefore the uniqueness of the children of Israel, is this relationship with their God who actually forgives them and restores them. And it's so important for us to remember that on these holidays. That God is not out to squash us. You know, sometimes the, the unfortunately we we view God like we like uh, conventional wisdom about how the world works. You know, if I do something to him, he's going to do something to me. Uh, if if I hurt somebody, uh, then they're going to get even with me. So if I sin against God, he's going to squash me. He's going to find me. He's going to get me. And so I better beg that he doesn't. Sadly, that is not the way God is depicted. Here and if he was ever going to be depicted in a certain in that kind of way, you'd think it would be here, because the people have sinned so badly. So if you're familiar with it, you know Moses begs God not to kill everybody, and he doesn't. And then God says, as we saw last night, God says, "But I'm going to send you on your way by yourselves." And then Moses says, "No, no, 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 you can't do that, because our identity is bound up." in our relationship with you. And we saw last night that uh, Moses' argument is, in verse 16 of chapter 33 of Exodus, For how can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and and your people, may may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth? And so then God says, okay, uh, I will go with you. And Moses again needs this reassurance and says, show me your glory, okay? And that's when God says, I I will show you my goodness. And then he says uh, in verse 19, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious And I will show compassion uh, on whom I will show compassion. And last night, we related that to uh, the time when Moses asks God in Exodus chapter 3, what is your name? And he says, "I, I will be whom I will be. And here, God explains that a little more. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I will be gracious on whom I will be gracious. That is who he is. In a sense, that's his name, and uh, uh, in a particular way, that is indeed his glory. We think of the glory of God oftentimes uh, the way we might view going to a good movie uh, today, right? Special effects, right? A good movie is the you know how uh, magnanimous people uh, are blown up or be shot out of cannons or. Uh, how unbelievable uh, it looks and people flying through the air and all that. Unfortunately, I think we translate that into the way we worship. And therefore, the glory, a glorious time is when, man, there's like fireworks going off, right? Otherwise, it might be kind of boring and that's not glorious, right? Like somebody like uh, reading from the Bible or something, you know, that's not glorious. That's like mundane, right? Uh, But really, it's interesting how God defines it here. He defines his glory, he calls it his goodness. And what Moses is going to see are the attributes of God, the loving attributes of God. And from his point of view, that's glorious. And so we experience the glory of God when we experience his loving kindness, uh, his mercy, his grace. That's how God defines glory. Glory. You see? We may define it as God doing something magnanimous uh, in our lives, and maybe He does. But if we look carefully, we can certainly experience His glory when we think about uh, what He has indeed done for us. So it's important for us to get that from God's point of view, what is glorious about Himself is His mercy and His grace. That's what his compassion and grace mean. Grace is favor, and compassion is his mercy. You know, the difference, in a way, is uh, mercy is God reaching down to us helpless people and doing something for us, and grace is what it's grounded on. It's grounded on the, un- the, uh, the, unmerited, the unmerited favor of God, and the action of that, you might say, is his mercy, pulling us out of the mud. He's merciful. Uh, toward us because his favor uh, is not based on uh, how good we are or what we do. Okay? So it's very important when he says that I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, in chapter 34 is where this plays out. So this morning we want to look at uh, the first uh, nine or ten, nine verses or so of uh, chapter 34. So chapter 33, Moses asks, and God says that's what he's going to do. Now we see how he does it, how he shows this to Moses in chapter 34. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. And no man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Let's stop there. So, it's like Moses doing it again. It's like a do-over, right? The people have sinned. God has relented. And he says, okay, we're going to like start over. Take two tablets uh, for the same commandments, right? Uh, and so we see uh, uh, he's to go on top of Mount Sinai. No one's supposed to go with him. And we see uh, that... Um, uh, a God uh, appears in a cloud, uh, and uh, it says, "...stood there with him, and he called upon the name of the Lord." You know, that's very interesting. I'm going to suggest to us that it is not Moses who calls upon the name of the Lord, that God says his name. Uh, and it's quite clear, I think, you know, in, uh, in Hebrew, that um, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, and he called upon the name of the Lord." And in verse uh, 6 is exactly what God says when he cries out his name. He's trying to inculcate here something to Moses. That he is who he said he was at the burning bush. And at the burning bush, God said, I will be who I will be. We get thrown off sometimes a little bit by I am that I am. I will be whom I will be. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 3. In um, verse 12, see where it says, certainly I will be with you. See that? If you read that in Hebrew, when it says I will be with you, that's the very same word, exactly the same, as a few verses down, when God said to Moses, I am who I am. I will be with you. Okay? That's who God is. I will be. I will do what I say I'm going to do. And as we see, as this unfolds, I will be the deliverer. That's who I am. If you'll go to chapter 6 of Exodus, we say this on uh, a Passover at the Seder, when we talk about the cups. Okay? What is it that God will be? What is it that God is going to do? In verse 6 it says of Exodus 6, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for possession." I am the Lord. God is reminding Moses, I am still that. That's who I am. That's what my name is. I will redeem you. I will bring you out. I will bring you uh, uh, to the land. See? And so here in chapter 34, in 33 and 34, when he talks about his glory, his glory is his compassion. His glory is his mercy. His glory is is taking the people out of Egypt. His glory is parting the waters of the sea when they complained immediately. His glory was taking them to Sinai. And if you read uh, in Exodus, the grumblings in the wilderness, a lot of it takes place in those first few months. Why are we here? Why did you take us out of Egypt? What are we doing here? Uh, And then even before they receive the tablets with the with the Torah, they uh, go into this terrible uh, hedonistic uh, moment uh, where of building the calf and uh, engaging in all kinds of uh, sinful activity. Yet God does not do away with them. I mean, what's our sins compared to all that, for crying out loud? You know, certainly it's bad, but, you know, we need to Uh, recognize that this is what is this is who he is don't worry so much about how exactly you pronounce his name but understand who he is Say what his name is his name is compassion his name is grace he is our father he is our benevolent loving king and that is what he is explaining to Moses he is encouraging Moses this is who I am you see you see, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving the people. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with you. And as uh, if this was our Torah study or something, we talk about the caveat, and that is, but there's going to be this distance. I'm going to go with you, but I can't like mingle among everybody, right? And hence the tabernacle in the wilderness, all right, and the curtain. And only a few people could be, so to speak, in the presence of God, and so on. Yet, God was still with them. The cloud led them in the wilderness. We read it. I won't take the time now, but you read the very end of Exodus, and it's quite clear. It's repeated over and over and over again. And that is what God is saying. So now, when you come down to, in chapter 34, God's on the mountain. He calls upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed by and proclaimed. This is what he says. The Lord says, the Lord, the Lord God. Okay, so it's like he's saying it to Moses again and again and again, this is who I am. And then he elaborates more when when he says, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. May I suggest that compassion and graciousness uh, are being explained more or elaborated on by slow to anger and abounding in love and truth but we'll explain that in a minute. "...who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children, on the grandchildren, to the third and fourth uh, uh, generations." Uh, and, And so we see God is elaborate. He's explaining what his name is. Compassionate and gracious. Interestingly enough, if you go, if you look if you keep your finger there and you go back up to um, 19 when he explains this he switches the order here it says I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll have compassion on whom I will show compassion now here he says the Lord God compassionate and gracious it's kind of an interesting observation that he flips them around perhaps to make the point that he is merciful. That's what compassion is here, rachamim, right? And it's actually interesting when it's plural. It's like more, more of it, you know? Uh, and so uh, he, is, he wants to make the point, his name, I am merciful. I recognize that you are an obstinate people. I recognize that you continually want to go back to Egypt, that you don't appreciate me, that you uh, are people who really don't even get me. And I know it's even going to be hundreds of years so you all understand that I'm a one God. <laughs> you know, and, and that, and, and that the, the day is going to come when you're going to go to the land and then you're going to rebel anyway and be an exile. But I love you anyway. I love you so much there's nothing you can do about it except return to me when you sin. So he says that first. And how true is that for us? God is merciful to you. He loves you oftentimes our biggest problem is ourselves and the guilt that we won't let go and the way we pity ourselves if only we would see ourselves the way god sees us and show us mercy for us however we define it as god in my estimation this is what i expect out of you and if you don't do what i expect then you're what's the point point? and that is exactly the way the people were that's exactly how they were when they came out of egypt Well, when's he going to do this for me? You know, why don't we have the food we want? Why why is it so difficult for us here? What's the point? Let's go back to Egypt. God says, "I, I hear you, but you know what? My name is merciful. I will not let you go. That's his name. That's who he is, see? And so he's inculcating that to them, to Moses and to the children of Israel here. Compassion and grace. Compassion grounded in grace. Slow to anger. Simply, he's patient with us. He's slow to, he doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't take offense easily. When you sin against him, he does not say, forget you. He doesn't, uh, as, a, as a great uh, figure from my childhood once said, that's all I can stand, and I can't stands no more. Right? God does not do that, right? He is slow to anger. See? Uh, it takes a lot. So when we sin, He's there. He's still there waiting. And this is the perfect illustration of this terrible sin that the people have committed, not only of the golden calf, but everything that led into it, uh, 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 unappreciate, not appreciating God taking him for granted, not understanding him, uh, wanting to run away from him. God says, nope, you are my people, okay? Uh, And and so he says, slow to anger, right? So God is, he treats you so much better, generally speaking, than, I say we, not you, we. We treat other people all the time, and we assume that God is like us, But no, he's not. He is absolutely merciful. He is absolutely full of grace and absolutely slow to anger. And then he says, abounding in loving kindness and truth. You know when uh, we say um, toda rabah, right? You hear that? Everybody ever hear that? Toda rabah, right? What does that mean? Thank you very much. Rabah, right? Very much. That's the word here for abounding. Very much okay very much he is very much full of loving kindness and truth chesed loyal love very much it's like this is a reaching a crescendo you might say you know abounding in loyal love that's what it means to be slow to anger that's what it means to be absolutely merciful that's what it means to be absolutely full of grace that's what it means to be absolutely that's who he is that's his name, full of, full of loyal love to his people. This is what God says to Moses about the Jewish people right in this time when he's, he is encouraging Moses that, that, okay, you know, it is not all over. And I'm going to suggest to us that all these conversations that Moses has with God, God allows in his grace and his mercy, to accentuate this fact that, yes, they are so undeserving, but I love them anyway. And I love you too, Moses. And you see, I am going with you. Of course I'm going to be going with you. And you can, so to speak, take it to the bank. That's who I am. This is my glory. Then he says, and truth, loving kindness and truth. Truth here doesn't mean like, truisms, or statements that are not false. But it means faithfulness. Faithfulness. He's faithful. He's true blue, you might say. That he's faithful. That what he says he means. That's what this means. Okay? So full, abounding in loyal love, and abounding in faithfulness. Like over-the-top loyal love. Over-the-top faithfulness. Wow, that is indeed who he is. Now again, there is the caveat of the tabernacle, but that's who he is. Now, notice what happens next. He repeats it in verse 7, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. You think he's like trying to make a point? Absolutely. He accentuates this, So it's an abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps, protects loving kindness, loyal love for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. We need to understand the point is if you follow this from the beginning of it, He is saying over and over again, compassion, abounding in loyal love. This is who I am. It doesn't mean I leave the guilty unpunished, that it it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But when we often read the text, we're consumed with the very end of verse 7. We're consumed with, he will visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And we do not appreciate the greatness of the mercy and the compassion. And we live in this morass of, of guilt. You know, I saw a movie the other night. It's gonna be odd. It was, uh, it was uh, it's called A nun Story. Anybody ever hear that movie? It's really a very interesting movie. So I'm gonna tell you what it's about in, in a nutshell. It's about, it takes place before World War II in Europe and this uh, young lady is Catholic and she decides she's gonna be a nun, right? And I, uh, you know, and uh, her family is kind of like, oh, why do you want to do that? It's such an austere lifestyle. And, you know, you won't get married. You won't have children. And why do you want to do something like that? Right? So she goes and, uh, and it's this, I don't know. The, the rules are uh, beyond anything you've ever seen. And basically in order to be holy, you got to whip yourself to the point of no return. And, and so there's this whole thing in the movie of, uh, of guilt and of, uh, uh, and of forgiveness and, and viewing yourself as so guilty that it is almost impossible to be right with God. And it's a very interesting tug of war that takes place uh, in this woman's life. It's actually pretty fascinating. Uh, and uh, uh, the sad thing is, is that's often how we live. I've come to the Lord, now there is this millstone around my neck. And I will never be holy enough. Did you ever think this way? If I do something right before God and I feel good about it, then I'm being prideful. And then I must whip myself into not having pride. But then I've confessed the sin and I feel like I'm right with God, so then I'm prideful again. You know, it's sometimes we view ourselves so horribly and it can come from many places you know maybe what we've heard on the hard drive in our heads our whole lives or something you know you're no good maybe but you see god understands all that about us and it is not so hard i mean when you you know i won't take the time but if you read romans chapter 10 carefully you see that the word of god is not so far away it's right near us and salvation is in messiah yeshua you know, uh, what does Yeshua say? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Meaning that if we, if we are disciplined in our life in the Lord, it's really a satisfying, marvelous experience to know the Lord. Warts and all. You see? And so he's accentuating his loving kindness and his forgiveness. See? That's what he is uh, uh, doing here. Now, it's very interesting that what we see here uh, uh, very much is uh, 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 something that relates to us uh, very much in Messiah, But, but let me read another couple of verses before we talk about that. In Exodus 34, what's Moses' reaction to all this now? So Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. What else could he do? right i mean whoa he, he he basically prostrate on the ground you know bowing before god and worshiping it's like over the top it's glorious his his compassion uh uh is glorious and so he bows down he's on the ground and look what he says if now i have found favor in your sight o lord I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and thou dost pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as thine own possession. He can't get over it. He can't get over it. This is indeed glorious. You know, it reminds you of what's right in the middle of Lamentations. His mercies never fail. Great is thy faithfulness. Right? Wow. His mercies indeed Never a fail. That is glorious. He loves you despite what you know about yourself. That is glorious. He knows you better than you know you. He knows every, all the bad things about you that nobody else knows because you're too embarrassed to ever tell anybody. Okay? He, know, he knows it already. But he loves you anyway because you're created in his image and his likeness. And his desire for you is to pull you out of the morass of of the attitudes and actions and self-loathing and the rest of it and pull you up to be a little lower than the angels, as we read in Psalm 8, you see? And that's why in his resurrection, Yeshua pulls us up, see, with him. Now, if you turn very quickly here uh, to uh, John chapter 1, I just want to... Make another point. Having said what we just said, so I'll say it very quickly because we did mention it last night. I think that the that the beginning of John one has a lot to do with this passage in Exodus uh, chapter thirty three and thirty four, and that Yeshua is like Moses here. You see, uh, in a, in a way, yet greater than Moses, as we read about in the book of Hebrews. He's indeed the Lord, and he becomes identified, so to speak. Uh, with uh Judah Vavhe in in Exodus 33 and 34 here in John 1 okay because notice first in verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory we beheld his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth we beheld his glory. How did we behold his glory? Well, maybe, and I know that, and it's a, it's a valid thing to say, perhaps from, from the transfiguration, when Yeshua was on a mountain, by the way, right? And he was transfigured and literally uh, uh, could be seen his glory, perhaps. But maybe also it is referring to when Moses says, show me your glory, and God says, okay, I'll show you my goodness. And he shows them his grace and his truth. And even in Greek, I, the word I, here I, means uh, faithful. I actually somewhere here, I cut and pasted that so that I could uh, you could know that I'm, I'm I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. Okay, but uh, it's all right. I guess I won't take the time to uh, dig it out of my notes here, but. Uh, you can indeed, uh, that's too bad, you can indeed look it up, okay? Or here, wait a second, wait a second, no, I don't know, it's too bad. All right, but that is indeed what I mean, that he is uh, faithful, truthful, that's who he is, full of grace and truth, and, uh, and so, I, I, again, Yeshua being identified with uh Yudhe Vavhe. Okay. Then if you go down to verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, there it is again. Grace and truth were realized through Yeshua, the Messiah. Okay? Uh, the Torah came from Moses, but grace and truth, the very manifestation of the name of God, who He is is realized in Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua has come uh, to manifest the, the name of the Lord. Right? Uh, and um, let's see. Yeah. Now, keep that thought in your mind for just a second and turn... Um, no, hang on a minute. Verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. Just like God told Moses, right? But the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of Father, He has explained Him. Yeshua explains yud heh Now, let me read to you uh, just from a commentary, a little bit from a commentary on, this, on the Exodus passage, but that, but that does not mention John, okay? This is fascinating. This is a commentary on Exodus, But it never mentions this passage in John. And the author says, Yahweh's confession of his nature is a powerful exegesis of the meaning of Yahweh, Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? In other words, the author says that back in Exodus 34, when he says, Lord, Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, that those words explain... That's, a, you know, exegete, Take a, show us the meaning of the name Lord. Well, it's very interesting that in John chapter 1, when it says he has explained him in Greek, that's what the word explained means. <laughs> that's what it means. And so that's exactly what Yeshua does. He explains the glory of God. And we might say, but he was a suffering servant. Yes, that is, that is indeed glorious in his action, but that action is depicting his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness uh, to us. And then in um, another place in uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 17, this is exactly what Yeshua says he has done. So it's not just me saying that's what John is saying. Look at how what Yeshua says. In Yeshua's great prayer, he says um, at the beginning, These things Yeshua has spoken, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. Even as thou hast given him authority over all mankind, uh, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know me, that they may know you, they may know thee, the only true God and Yeshua, the Messiah, whom thou hast sent. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work uh, which thou hast given me to do. Okay? Uh, and now glorify me together with thyself, the glory which I had before the world uh, was. Okay? I manifested your name. To the men whom, the people whom thou hast given me out of the world. I manifested your name. <laughs> That's what he's done. What is his name? Yudhe Vavhe. What does that mean? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, faithful, yet of course, judging sin as well. And that is how we ex- that's how we experience his glory. And it is very interesting that Yeshua is glorified in his death and, of course, in his victory, in his, in his resurrection. But he has indeed manifested his name. But without a caveat. Remember I said that like three times already? That uh, God says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you no matter what. But there's got to be this space between us. But you see, what Yeshua has done is He has ripped the curtain. And now, last night I used the word vivid. We can know Him vividly. What that means is now we can enter into the throne of grace. We can enter into His presence. No caveat. No longer do we need uh, uh, the high priest. Because Yeshua is our high priest. And He gives us our credentials So, that in who we are, when we embrace Yeshua, we have the credentials to enter into the room based on this organic relationship with Him. His name is upon us. What is His name? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, forgiving iniquity. That's who He is. That's who He was to our ancestors when they sinned so horribly in the wilderness. And that's who he is to us, who still sin so horribly in the wilderness. Even though we've embraced Yeshua, even though we are identified in him, even though our sins are forgiven, we still sin and it still demands repentance. And so that's why on Rosh Hashanah, when we hear the sound of the shofar, may we run to God. He's got open arms. That's glorious. You can experience His glory as He wraps His arms around you, sins in all, because He forgives iniquity. And that is exactly what He promised in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. That's true for you in Yeshua the Messiah. You don't have to beg and beg and beg. You confess your sins and have the knowledge that I am clean before God. When we go to Tashlik this afternoon and we throw the the pebble in, it's a picture of that casting our sins into the sea. And so, may we, like the prophet Hosea in chapter 14, I'm just going to close with Hosea chapter 14. And may this be, indeed, be a word for us. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. (laughs) I'm going to uh, give a little annotation here. America will not save us. Uh, Well, I can't go much beyond that. I don't know. Any, any nation or any treaty uh, will not save us. The Republicans will not save us. Uh, anyone running for president will not save us. Democrats will not save us. Independents will not save us. Uh, interesting, uh, intelligent uh, people will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, Our God to the work of our hands or even our thoughts. For in thee the orphan finds mercy. Then God says, this, this is the confession. That's the confession. Now God responds. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. No strings attached. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. And he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout and his beauty will be like the olive tree and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain. They will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the the wine of Lebanon. Oh, Ephraim, what more do, do I have to do with idols? Ephraim, the northern kingdom in complete rebellion. What do I have to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. Oh, Howard, what more do I have to do with all of your craziness and with all of your preoccupation with things that are not important uh, and your secret sins and uh, the things that you do that you're ashamed of? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. May we heed the great word from both Moses, the Lord himself, and Hosea.